Hello everyone and welcome to Punk Lotto Pod, the game where no one wins. I'm your co-host Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where using a random number generator and the Rate Your Music Punk Charts, we pick a year and an album and EP from said year to discuss. Do we have any small talk? <laughs> Did you do anything this week? Uh, nothing too crazy. Um, been uh, jamming with a drummer a couple yeah. times. Gonna probably meet up again with him today, see if we can get a bass player in there. So, some progress there. Um, I sold a, uh, a project guitar on the internet. Oh, you sold it? So I gotta package that up and get it oh. out the door. <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I finished Christmas shopping, which is great. I don't think I've ever finished this early. I still need to do some Christmas shopping. <laughs> Um, there's our there's our Christmas filler. Yeah, for the episode. <laughs> well, this That's... is a post Christmas episode anyway. Oh yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, everyone had a good Christmas. Uh, seeing as this is now going up the day after Christmas, um, still technically Christmas. Me. I mean, most people are back to work. Well, a lot of people are back to work day after Christmas. A lot of people work on Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, so if yeah, we're about a week and a half away from Christmas here, so <laughs> when we're recording this, so um, yeah, it's gonna be really confusing. Man, it's the twenty sixth, and this guy hasn't even started Christmas shopping. <laughs> it's fine. There's twelve more days of Christmas. <laughs> get that partridge in a pear tree. Um, yeah, went to a record store to get Christmas presents, and mmm. That's about it. <laughs> like, nothing really <laughs> exciting. Uh, well, I saw three movies this week in the theaters. <laughs> <laughs> what movies? Uh, Green Room. No, not Green Room. Why do I always want to call it Green Room? I wish I saw Green Room in the theaters. That'd yeah. Be, that'd be awesome. No, Green Book, the one with uh, Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali. I think that's how you say his name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good. It's just like... Uh, Bigo Morgenstein! <laughs> it's like uh, driving Miss Daisies, except uh, the driver and <laughs> passenger are race reversed. So, <laughs> hmm. um, it's set in the '60s. So, but it's good. Weirdly directed by Peter Farrelly from the Farrelly Brothers. Weird. Yeah, it's like straight up like drama, sort of. It's got funny moments, but it's not one of their dumb comedies. Yeah. Uh, I also saw Boy Erased. Which is the uh, movie about the gay conversion therapy? Yeah, directed by Joel Edgerton. Which it was really, it was really good. It's probably the best movie I saw this week. And then last night I saw "Can You Ever Forgive Me," the Melissa McCarthy movie, where she's a forger. Oh yeah, yeah, that one actually looked decent. How was it? Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, it's weird. All three of the movies, I believe, were true stories. Yeah, so it was kind of funny. And then. I'm going to try and go see Into the Spider-Verse tonight, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got your three Oscar-type movies, and then you got a Spider-Man movie. Cartoon so. Spider-Man movie. Hey, it might, from what I've heard, it may be the best Spider-Man movie ever. Yeah, I mean, I kind of figured. <laughs> like, they really should just make superhero movies as cartoons. Yeah, like, they should. It, it's a comic book. I mean, <laughs> it's, it just makes more sense to animate it. 
I don't, I mean, unfortunately that means like it's got to all be computer animated because that's the only style of animation anyone does anymore. Yeah. Which this, this one seems very stylized. So I'm looking forward to that. And it's, um, I think it's, I don't know if it's directed by Lord and Miller, but it's the guys that did Lego movie. So yeah, they're involved. It seems like they're the only like kids movie directors slash producers who try and put style in their movies because so, it yeah. this one looks like it's gonna have like the it'll like look like a classic color coloring in a comic book with like the dot yeah like the the four-way color process and yeah and the, the what do you call it halftone yeah well there's been movie roundup uh <laughs> <laughs> nothing watch too it, punk watch any good wrestling lately <laughs> Let's let's uh, talk about everything other than. <laughs> I watched a little Lucha Libre last night. That was pretty good. I watched Puma King versus Penta Pentagon Junior. Who was cool. Who was the cat guy? That was that Puma King that you sent me yeah, a picture of. That's Puma King. He's this really big guy for a luchador, and he um, he definitely like does cat like things in the ring. <laughs> he goes all in on the gimmick. Well, it's way like, more. But- what? No, go ahead. He, he goes way more in the gimmick than like any other cat-based re- uh, wrestler <laughs> usually does. Well, it's like um, uh, Battle Cat. The two, the two different guys that played Battle Cat, they were just like really big guys, <laughs> and they were doing like cat-like moves. <laughs> I love that costume, that yeah. cat mask. Yeah, yeah. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, do we uh, want to talk about our records? I let's talk about two thousand two. I I feel like we might have more to say than uh, well, at least for one of these records. Um, yeah. So we drew the year two thousand and two, and as usual, we like to look at the punk charts and try and figure out what trends were going on in that year and what you know how our our main albums tie into the uh, the trends and fit in with the year. And mm-hmm. actually, this year, uh, our, for our full length, it definitely ties in, because this is the year it looks like emo blew up, or what the mainstream version of what people think emo is. Emo. <laughs> we need, like, an emo foghorn sound effect <laughs> that we can play anytime we talk about. So this is the year where Glassjaw's Worship and Tribute came out. Yeah. It's something. That's a record. <laughs> uh, we've got Me Without You's AB Life kicked off there a little. Uh, well, that's the first album. That's the first Me Without You album. First full length, yeah. They have two EPs before. Yeah. Nobody listens. No. Um, we got to tell all your friends by Taking Back Sunday. Yeah. I mm, really don't like Taking Back Sunday. I really dislike Taking Back Sunday, and they're not a band, like, I hated them then, and they're not a band that I have, like, gone back and been like, oh, they weren't as bad as I remember. No, I still don't like Taking yeah. Back Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Most of the others, I'm not as, like, hard on as I used to be, but, mm, yeah, not, not TBS. <laughs> they were legitimately a bad band. <laughs> People going. love that record, though. Yeah. But they uh, were into it then. That's the thing. True. True. We got um, Satellite Years by Hope's Fall. That is way, that's way up there for and Hope's they, Fall. Uh, this is after they dropped the periods at the beginning and end of their name. <laughs> and, it, and it helped them out so much. Uh, the dot see, Hope's Fall dot. 
<laughs> There's Thrice's The Illusion of Safety. Is that the is that before Artists in the Ambulance or is that the one after? I want to say that's before Artists in the Ambulance. So that's not exactly the big one. Yeah. But yeah. Um hopping over to Oh, there's a Pie Balls. We are the only friends we have. I have no idea how to classify that album cuz it doesn't fall in with the rest of the emo stuff, but it doesn't fit in with like for lack of a better term, the orgcore punk stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Piebald has always kind of just been piebald. I mean, even their like earlier emo stuff was not easily compared to other emo bands. Um, yeah, I feel like they just kind of you could just generally call them like an indie punk band. I don't indie rock band. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, see, uh, the very first Alexis on Fire album came out that year, which introduced us all to Dallas Green. Yeah, Mr. City Color. Yeah, I mean. There's like there's like a Poison the Well record and a the used self-titled. I mean this is oh jeez Finch what it is to burn. This is the uh, this is the year. I mean this is the emo screamo ground zero for uh, yeah. It is the the year the, from which all the ships were launched. Yeah, it's for better or worse, mainly worse, but yeah, it's not. It, it, that trend kind of killed what people thought emo. I don't know, it's it's ruined what everyone thinks emo is because for the most part, none of these bands are really emo bands. Very few of them are. Yeah, they're like post-hardcore, kind of heavier pop punk. Yeah. Uh, any other big trends in 2002? It looks like. I mean, you've got your things shifting towards like a a Gainesville orgcore. Uh, mm-hmm. punk sound with like against me and hot water going pretty much going mainstream with uh with caution with caution Their worst album yeah and uh, like um first latterman album um lawrence arms agony and apathy d4 situation is comedy yeah so you've got a little bit of a midwest punk and a little bit of a florida punk and a little bit of a what is it uh long island is yeah that, with is latterman, that latterman? Yeah. yeah yeah yeah, this bike is a pipe bomb. Kind of kicks off the folk punk thing there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Screamo seems to be... I don't know if this is, like, what, the end of it? Sort of the... Um, or this is the peak of, like, early 2000s Screamo with City Caterpillar, Orchid, Funeral Diner, this, Page 99, Majority Rule Split. Yeah, this is kind of the end because that, you know, that was that one... One City of Caterpillar record, that was the last Orchid record that came out that year. That was the, um, yeah, that Page 99 split. That was very close to the end of their career. So it's it's kind of the end of that turn of the Millennium Screamo. Mm-hmm. Um, Which this emo trend would then pick up the term mm-hmm. and run with it. And now no one knows what Screamo is, is, you know, for mainstream. I know people into punk rock understand the difference now, but it's... Yeah, and we can talk a little more about that when we talk about our album, because I there were I have some thoughts on that um, yeah. in relation to this record, so... Well, you want to jump into the actual albums, then? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, the only other the only other trend is, like, that sort of, inter, like, the Interpol thing shifting towards the mainstream. Um yeah. There's a Vines record on there. And then there's, yeah, there's some of the garage stuff, too, which I think informs our EP a little bit, but it's not very prominent. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like that may have been the years following more of an influence on yeah. than... Um, yeah, but pretty much everybody went all in on emo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all right. So we got number 82 on the punk album chart, and it is My Chemical Romance. I brought you my bullets. You brought me your love. <laughs> Let's just run through some of the, the, the basics on this real quick. They're from Newark, New Jersey. Um, which, I didn't know they were from... How did I not know they were from New Jersey? I didn't either until I read that. And with one of their biggest... Uh, I feel like one of their biggest influences was Saves the Day on this album. Um, yeah, I can see that. With the Jersey connection. Because yeah. there's a couple tracks on this album that are just like straight up Saves the Day songs. Yeah. Um mainly what drowning lessons and then uh there's another song a little bit further into the album it's just like a fast pace like kind of lifetimey jersey pop punk hardcore punk thing with bad vocals uh uh, it was released on eyeball records which is (laughs) such a weird label uh what did they put out weird they did out they did like thursday records but they also did like murder by death (laughs) <laughs> yeah so it was they, uh it was owned by mark dbiak alex saavedra and thursday's jeff rickley yeah who also produced this album yeah um because they had like made friends with thursday uh what else yeah it is a strange out al- uh label because they did the trendy stuff like my chemical romance and um Hmm. Midtown. <laughs> uh, what did they release by Gaslight Anthem? I see that too. I don't know what what that it was. Doesn't sound right at all. Was it Senor and the Queen? I don't know. 
I think Wikipedia actually is the worst place to look for record label information, so I'm going to go to Discogs. Okay, so yeah, they did number 12 looks like you, which was weird. Uh, I wrestled a bear once. So <laughs> Okay, so Wikipedia is mistakenly categorizing the Gasoline Anthem as having been on Eyeball Records because they were signed, but didn't release anything. Weird. Um, I think is what seems to be what happened, and it was probably even pre-Gaslight Anthem, so... Yeah. I don't know, they would do, like, trendy bands, and then they would also put stuff out, like, The Casting Out, and, uh, Astronautilus, and... Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's kind of a weird label. I don't think they exist anymore. I, like, they have a Mile Marker album. They did, like, a, it seems like they did something by Game Face. Yeah, yeah. And, like, H2O. Yeah, and The Casualties. <laughs> and an I Hate God compilation? It's a weird label. Zoloff, the, the rock and roll destroyer. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, supposedly something by Mile Marker. Yeah, Omniti or something like that. Well, so Eyeball Records did do that, United Nations. They did something by United Nations, but that's Jeff Rickley, so. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, they had some of those other peop- some of those other bands, like Number 12 Looks Like You, and... I mean, they did put out a Thursday album or two. Uh, well, so... Uh, let's jump. Uh, the personnel on the album is Gerard Way on vocals, Ray Toro and Frank Iero on guitars, Mikey Way on bass, and Matt Pellissier on drums. Uh, Frank Iero only plays on like one or two tracks on the album because he wasn't a full member of the band yet. Oh, interesting. Because hmm. he had joined the band like three months before they recorded <laughs> the album. And it's actually really crazy. This is the first thing my Chemical Romance ever released. There's no EPs or singles or splits that came out before this album. They also only formed in uh, 2001. So in l- under a year, they formed the band and released their full-length album. Hmm. And it totally sounds like a brand new band that does not know what they sound like yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're definitely kind of all over the place here. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of different types of things going on here. Like, well, number one, very little emo. Like, there's like one song that you could call like an emo song, and it was like the really slow one with like jangly guitar <laughs> riffs. And um, the rest is just like a pop punk album with some like post hardcore elements. Like on the op- the not the opening track, but the first song on the album. Yeah, which that reminded me of. Uh, he has legend song weirdly well okay so <clears throat> there was like a weird thing about this record there are a lot of like at the gates riffs did you notice <laughs> that there's there's like a it, it it comes up a couple times there's some stuff that if you sped it up and you like yeah if you played it faster it would sound like darkest hour <laughs> like uh just a lot of like yeah just those at the gates gothenburg yeah like that song vampire metal riffs this album has some of the dumbest song titles on it which did they start that stupid trend i don't know i mean they definitely went with like the gothy stuff vampires will never hurt you uh honey this mirror isn't big enough for the two of us when did the first uh fallout boy record come out that came out after this one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of these songs sounds like a, a fucking ska song. <laughs> uh, it's like the... 
I don't know. It felt like a bunch of got mall goths playing ska, like without any horns. It, hit first for Halos. That's the song. <laughs> like one of the songs people love the most it's just like what are you doing yeah there's a gerard way sounds like he's out of breath on every song well so he actually recorded his vocals um with a dental abscess (laughs) those little corn teeth so he was screaming uh, these songs with like probably throbbing pain in his mouth (laughs) i i would not try to record a record with an abscess i've had one yeah (laughs) yeah so that i think his vocal performance can be given a little uh a little credit yeah considering but he does some things on here that weirdly remind me of like of more traditional screamo i mean not not just like the like the higher pitch screechy stuff that he does um, cause I didn't realize how much he like full on screamed yeah. in the early stuff. I always just figured it was kind of just his cat wailing sounds, but, <laughs> um, he also does some like, uh, like, uh, city of caterpillar ish. Yeah. Um, like vocal you know, I, warble. I was trying to find what their influences actually were. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, like the Wikipedia and what they say their influences are is like the Misfits and Black Flag and Queen. I'm like, I mean, but until you get to the Black Parade, they don't sound like Queen. I, I mean, mean, Queen is clearly an influence on Frank Iero. Um, yeah, his guitar playing. But but what else do they say? They 
their influences are just like what? No, you don't sound like that. Oh yeah, they're okay. They say their influences are Queen, Misfits, Black Flag, Iron Maiden, The Cure, Joy Division, Bauhaus, Susie and the Banshees, and The Smiths. They don't sound like I mean any of those. I'm bands. sure that they like all those goth bands. I'm sure those are some minor influences, but no, they don't sound like those bands. I mean this this record is like yeah, it's like you said, it's New Jersey uh fast pop punk with with some metalcore riffs and a little bit of the early 2000s screamo. I mean, I even hear a little bit of uh, like Alkaline Trio and some yeah. of the guitar parts and and even in that music video for Vampires, they're all wearing suits and it's just and wearing like corpse paint sort of on the, around their eyes and it's like, "Oh, you guys are just ripping off Alkaline Trio." Good morning. Yeah. Uh, Frank Iero cites the punk band Lifetime as a big influence. So there you go. There's our yeah. There's their real influence, not the trendy. We like to borrow imagery from goth bands. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a, people always do that. They always make the mistake. Anything that has like a horror bent is gonna be compared to the Misfits just because. Yeah, because they're wearing a costume. Yeah. Didn't so I looked at something. And apparently Gerard Way, like, hated the term emo. I saw it in here. Let's see if I can find. Gerard Way has publicly rejected the term emo, describing the genre as fucking garbage. <laughs> like, Well, they're all just copying what you're doing, asshole. Uh, yeah. I mean, is he saying that, like, about, like, their uh, their peers or what? Like, I don't... Yeah, I don't know. Are you saying Braid and Jimmy World are garbage? Yeah. Because uh, I got news for you. Um, or are you just talking about w- the misuse of the word emo again? And you're just talking about your contemporaries? Because uh, I could kind of agree with that. But at the same time, they're just ripping you off. So Yeah. I've seen people um, make a comparison with early My Chemical Romance to Mineral a little bit. Um, really? I get it in little little places on this record i think maybe it might be a little more prominent on the next one but if you think of like like latter day mineral and their and their faster stuff i can kind of see that hmm. um that's odd uh people also say that gerard way looks like uh billy corgan he does <laughs> yeah <laughs> he looks just like him <laughs> and they apparently modeled their career after smashing pumpkins which I guess I could kind of see that. How so? Because <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me. Because Smashing Pumpkins is is Billy Corgan. Yeah. And some other people who are better musicians than him. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I don't know. What is the, what does that mean? But Let's like generally, Billy Corgan that. wrote all the Smashing Pumpkins songs. Yeah. And everybody else just came up with like the really good parts. Yeah. Like. Uh, Let's see if I can find. I mean, yeah, you could I, you could say, like, if they structured the band so that Gerard is, like... But he's the front man. Like, the front man is always the the main guy in the band. It's always, like, the spokesperson or the, you know, the one in the interviews. So I found this article on the Wayback Machine <laughs> on musicpicks.net in an interview with them, which is so weird. Who is Music Picks, and how do they get to score an interview with My Chemical Romance? Um, so their question is, the music industry is cluttered with hot new bands that then fade away. Case in point, Smashing Pumpkins. 
We think you guys are a close match. They even have a vampire tune. How do you feel about that comparison? Okay, hold on. What? Hot new bands that then fade away? Smashing Pumpkins? Smashing Pumpkins had like a 10-year career. (laughs) Like (laughs) They had a ton of hits. What are they talking about? (laughs) They're an old band. They're not still together, so they faded away. <laughs> Unless you were just literally saying there's a new band and then they're not new and then they stop making music. <laughs> the trajectory of all bands. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, whatever. And then so he says the funny thing about the pumpkins is it's one of me and Mickey's favorite bands of all time. I mean, and then Music Pig says see that, yeah. So we're on the mark. Oh. <laughs> sure. Uh Gerard says, you're on the mark, and it actually goes even further than that. There's nothing contrived about this band, but at the same time... (laughs) Yeah, there's plenty contrived about this band. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A lot of things are planned in advance. We think about the future a great deal. In fact, when we made our first record, I had patterned our career off the Pumpkins because they were able to do such free and artistic music. I wanted Revenge to be our Siamese dream, though. If you listen to Jish, it's a band that's discovering themselves. There are some self-indulged elements to it. There's a bit, there's a little bit all over the place. There's a little acid rock. If you listen to our first record, it's the same way. It was a little self-indulgent, but there's some stuff hmm. happening all over the place. Yeah. You're really not sure what to focus on. By the time Siamese, Siamese Dream came out, they were they had harnessed that into something that could connect with a much broader audience. So they intentionally <laughs> tried to make a scattered record where they... <laughs> just wanted to see what would stick i mean i guess that's not a terrible idea like let's just try all of our ideas and then whatever resonates most with people is the direction that we'll go in oh here we go we wanted to pattern that in a way off siamese dream of what they're done like the next record is patterned off of melancholy in the next phase of our careers and i could see that it doesn't sound like melancholy but it is the black parade is definitely as ambitious as yeah well melancholy well maybe not there's way more music on melancholy but way too much theatrical melancholy (laughs) more theatrical yeah yeah i mean that makes sense i guess i don't i still i think he's just revising their history though by saying oh no we made a scattered record on purpose (laughs) i mean i I don't maybe yeah maybe after that record they were like let's try and focus and then, and yeah. he was probably pointing. They were probably pointing to Smashing Pumpkins to be like, "Look at how they settled into their groove." You know. Yeah. I could, I could see that, but it could also just be like, "What, what am I gonna do with this interview question?" <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have songs about vampires. <laughs> uh, that hot new band that faded away. <laughs> I mean, Smashing Pumpkins' influence is still felt today compared to my chemical romance though i guess my chemical romance is still felt today and a scene that we have nothing to do with but yeah you know this an this is an interesting question and it kind of ties into a conversation that katie and i were having about you know the uh like the lasting impact of art of music in general um of individual artists you know are the classics you know are they as influential because they're really that good or because that's all that broke through versus, you know, what, what will stand today when you have access to everything? Um, 
and that's kind of an interesting thing. Is My Chemical Romance a band that will be 30 years from from now, 20, 30 years from now, be regarded as like a lasting and impactful band? Like a, a genuinely influential band and, and not just like a band that was pretty good for their time and were really popular or whatever. Well, I don't... I don't know. Because... Because the thing... It's interesting. Like, the thing about emo is that it... Emo and this and that kind of post-hardcore stuff, it has carried on much in the way... Um, and much in the way that a lot of 80s rock and hair metal did. Mm-hmm. To where it stuck around for so long that it became a joke. And so now and- only, like, really backwards corny people are like still into it and they still really (laughs) cling to it like you know are still dressing that way and you know so is it possible is it is it possible to ever really reclaim that that sound will people come around to that will it have its nostalgia cycle will people think of my chemical romance and fallout boy the same way we think about motley Crue and poison now yeah maybe pretty good Um, for its time but maybe not really that influential didn't age well yeah something that you can understand why people enjoy it and you might like it yourself but i don't know i don't not important ultimately i am curious to see my chemical romances impact because i do think people will say that about fallout boy unfortunately but they're a much worse band than my chemical romance but yeah their impact was much bigger and in fact are still around whereas my chemical romance is not together anymore didn't they reunite but then broke up again or something like that yeah they they didn't put out any new music though it was yeah. just uh i mean but like who talks about any of these albums the only album anybody, i feel like anybody talks about is what the the second one um with three cheers is that was called mm. i don't know anybody who really talks about uh black parade anymore uh, other than people who were there when it came out and who liked it then yeah um and nobody cared about the last album, yeah. with the f- the fabulous Killjoys or something yeah. like that. To be honest, I think Gerard Way's lasting impact is going to be his comic book writing. Yeah, um, that's possible. Um, Umbrella Academy is pretty big as far as uh, creator-owned comic work goes. Um, he's done work for Marvel. I don't know if he's done any DC work. Um, and he's not a bad writer, uh, so... Well, he was, I, I mean, he was even working on comic books back mm-hmm. in the beginning of My Chemical Romance. I mean, he had, like, a comic book about vampires that didn't go anywhere, but, like, it didn't get yeah. published, but he was working on it. So, like, he was definitely always trying to write comics. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he started doing, um, which is why that song about vampires is about vampires. Yeah.
Poopy was writing that vampire comic. <laughs> um, so let me ask you this. Let's see. When this album came out, it was 2002. I don't think we became aware of them until the second album. Yeah. I don't think I don't think this album this album went like gold, but it went gold like later yeah. and off the back of um, their more successful the, albums. Yeah. Yeah. So three cheers came out. What year was that? Two thousand four. Okay. So I would have been like I graduated in two thousand five. I mean, I, so yeah, I I would have been sixteen, seventeen. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have noticed three cheers for sweet revenge coming out. But I definitely did notice them, you know, as that album got more popular and they got more popular. I mean, you saw, like, the music video for Helena and yeah, I I'm guess Not Okay, they, you know. the It wasn't so much in 2004 when the album came out, but it was probably that period between Three Cheers and the Black Parade is when you really became mm-hmm. aware of My Chemical Romance. And... Man, I really thought there was something between Three Cheers... And no, there's life on there's the murder scene. That's a lot oh, of that's life. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I really thought there was something else between Three Cheers and Black Parade. Nope. Wow. Uh, they uh, just I don't know. I think 2005 they they blew up essentially, and they've got their videos played on fucking MTV and Fuse and <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, do you remember how much we hated? emo and like my chemical romance and yeah i mean all of that stuff what was that what was that hatred i don't know i i felt like some of it was like obligatory metalhead shitting on emo like yeah i do think maybe there was some subconscious aspect of it that was like a a macho thing that's what I was thinking. Is was it ta- toxic masculinity just being like, no, emo's lame because they ch- talk about their feelings. And it's shit. girl music. <laughs> yeah. So I never really like, consciously thought of it in that way. And yeah. I, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We were into, but we were, yeah. I mean, we were into metal and metalcore and stuff like that. So there was, I mean, there's always been that macho toughness, mm-hmm. like. At the same time, like, I never felt attracted to the genres of music because of that. No. Generally just liked the sound of it. So, I don't know. I think to some extent there was just, like, that you felt obligated to hate it because it wasn't what you liked. I don't know. I remember a friend gave me a copy of Saves the Days through being cool. And around that same time, I started to get into Coheed and Cambria. And I distinctly remember telling my ex-girlfriend at the time i'm into emo now (laughs) you had your heart broken so (laughs) you had to get into emo yeah it was definitely Uh, a conversation like oh actually i like emo now (laughs) yeah and i'm like i remember you remember that too (laughs) yeah i mean again what i'm describing is isn't even necessarily emo coheed cambria are like a prog rock yeah. band and saves the day are like a pop punk band like but it's you got into like alkaline trio and yeah yeah so but i remember it was a big deal that i wasn't listening to just metalcore and in all reality metalcore was just as cheesy and as fake as uh 
Yeah, I mean, it was just a bunch of goofy shit, too. I mean... <laughs> yeah. And it, Trying to be brutal, B-R-0-0-T-A-L. And, and being into, like, the way that we were into, like, other extreme and experimental styles of metal, it was just like, isn't this smart? Like, just, like, <laughs> snobby and just douchey. Like, I don't... I don't know. I'm. I mean, that's what every like late teen, early twenty year old does. Though yeah. they get kind of snobby with their. I'm just musical taste. I'm just thankful we got into the earnesty of punk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what did you think of this album? You know, I didn't hate it overall. Like, I didn't. Yeah. I enjoyed most of it. There were some songs and parts that were like, all right, that's enough. But well, the songs, a lot of the songs are way too long. Yeah. So there's two songs that are over five minutes long, and another one that's over six minutes long, Ugh. and another one that's over four minutes. It's like that's too many songs that are too long. Like yeah, shorter songs. Uh, but yeah, there were a couple songs I liked, like Drowning Lessons. I genuinely think it might be the best song on the album. day types new jersey punk but there's like a few moments of like alkaline trio and coheed type riffs that i liked um i didn't hate his vocals i don't know there uh, i didn't hate it like i thought i would i also my theory on actually really liking it didn't come true either um yeah i, I wouldn't I sampled a little bit of three cheers and i i think that's the better album like it's the m- more cohesive piece of you know record with a sound that's not just queen ripoffs um, yeah i mean even with a little bit of that bigger rock queen influence i think a song like i'm not okay is like is actually genuinely a good song yeah uh, helena's not bad um but at this yeah, a, at this point i'm not gonna go back and get into my chemical romance no why would you <laughs> yeah it's not that enjoyable to me it's kind of just it's interesting to reevaluate a band that you very intensely disliked and wore it wore it as kind of like a, a badge of honor to be like i yeah. hate emo <laughs> yeah i kind of I, I wish i could go back in time and just kind of tell myself like hey dude chill out cool it masculinity is a prison 
<laughs> yeah. Just like what you like. If you don't like it, you don't have to talk about how much you hate it. I feel like we talked about as much stuff we didn't like as we did. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, every yeah, every nerdy music fan goes through that period. So <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. Now at the same, I'm time, definitely m- mellowed out in terms of like my reaction to things that I don't enjoy. I'm kind of just like, eh, I don't like that. Whatever. But at the <laughs> same time, like I'm, I'm also like my uh, my patience for for bullshit is like. <laughs> nope. Like I can I can make a decision very promptly. Like, nope, yeah. don't like it. Yeah. Just like I know where this goes, not into it. Yeah. Now it's very weird because I was looking at all the rate your music reviews for this album and there were so many that were just like rave reviews for the uh My Chemical Romance. Like it's just like okay, you're wrong to be this in love with it. I was r- wrong to hate it as much as I did back then. Yeah, this record is, and from an objective critical standpoint, it is scattered. Mm-hmm. It's a band trying to find their sound. Yeah, I'm, those are very, very fair assessments of it. And and it's not like it's even like any of the different things that they were trying to do are necessarily bad in themselves. It's mm-hmm. just that a lot of it doesn't gel. Yeah. There's just like occasional parts and songs where you're just like, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? <laughs> Why do they have so many parts in these songs? Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that especially in the, uh, the, what, Honey, This Mirror Isn't Big Enough and Vampires both just had like too many parts to it. It's like, what are you doing? And then even like Drowning Lessons is like four minutes long and the last minute's like a different song. So it's like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Cool it. Pick an idea and go with it. You're not a prog rock band. You're not even playing the songs like you are. So, I don't know. Yeah, I would... <laughs> I found this little thing on Rate Your Music. It says, MCR's music is what happens when you bring together old school thrash metal, hardcore and post-hardcore punk, British indie from the 80s, mainstream 90s emo, and pop from whatever age. <laughs> so, so, all music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So there's literally a little bit of every single <laughs> style of rock music since the 70s. <laughs> also, there's no old school thrash metal on here. No. <laughs> At all. <laughs> yeah, there's melodic death metal riffs on yeah. a couple songs. That's it. On these on these pop punk songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what would you give it? Um, Three. Yeah, yeah. that's where I was landing, I too. was kind of just, just like... Solid I did. I you know enjoyed it, listening to it. You know, very little I outright disliked. Yeah, I was more yeah, like just more irritated by the songwriting than the songs themselves. Um, it's just corny. Yeah, it's definitely. It's it's as corny as Gerard Way's little corn teeth. <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> he prominently displayed them. Yeah. <laughs> you can make fun of my teeth. It's fine. I, oh, he's a you, white you're the dude. one who I mean you're the one who got braces so you're the one who's punching down <laughs> I still have a gap in my teeth <laughs> yeah I mean you have to wear the a retainer for like life pretty much to keep that from coming back yeah yeah um <laughs> it's really funny Katie makes fun of uh 
uh, my wife Katie makes fun of Christina Hendricks for having baby teeth. <laughs> she does. <laughs> and she, I mean, she's like, she's like, she's beautiful. She's objectively beautiful. Like, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not trying to tear her down. It's just she's got little baby teeth. <laughs> It is funny to see adults with small teeth. You're just like, huh, what is, what happened there? Yeah. <laughs> you grind in your sleep? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, m- you know, mine are big and, and crowded, and so. Yeah. It's fine. Mine are flat all the way across. <laughs> They're all the same level. Yeah. It's kind of weird. You have, like, a cartoon character's <laughs> teeth. <laughs> <sighs> Just like straight lines, yeah. just like a grid. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, my chemical romance. My chemical bromance. <laughs> my chemical peel bromance. <laughs> well, do we want to? Do we want to move on to our EP? We deep, yeah. deep dived on on my chemical romance in early two thousands emo. So let's take another look. Let's take us. Okay, let's take a swipe at this one. Because this, to be honest, this one actually kind of annoyed me more. So, uh, we got number five on the EP charts. It's Death From Above 1979 and their debut EP, Heads Up. It's up. Yeah, it does, right? Like, uh, okay, they're from Toronto, Ontario. Oh, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Don't alienate our Canadian audience. <laughs> we should ask our friend. I'm sure he'll say, yeah, that makes sense, too. <laughs> yeah, I should have thrown this by him. I don't know why I didn't think about that. But uh came out on Ake Records, who released Hot Hot Heat. What? And what? Okay, hella makes remember? sense. <laughs> hot hot heat <laughs> yeah ache records put out hot hot heat <laughs> were they a canadian band is that what maybe <laughs> i mean ache records what, what, what? is a is a canadian label from vancouver um it was started by andy dixon yep hot heat were also from british columbia who played in some bands nobody well known but Oh. Yeah, we put out Fortet and Hella and Weird. Death. We, yeah, I don't know what the deal with Hot Hot Heat is. Weren't they like a real bad band? Like, 
Well, yeah, they were. Weren't they like a like a Strokes uh, hives like kind of thing? With maybe like a little more butt rock. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's my impression of them. I remember them being on the radio. Yeah. Did, didn't they have some beef with Hot Water Music? <laughs> is that or my or is that imagined? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Or hot, were you turned heat. off from Hot Water Music initially because you thought they were hot, hot heat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would suck so much. If people thought Hot Water Music was hot, hot heat, and that's why they didn't try and Well, get into if you them. listen to Caution, <laughs> <laughs> you might have thought so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. So, the personnel on the album is... <laughs> no, I hate uh, this place. I love these chords. The only decipherable is- lyrics. Yeah, like most Hot Water Music songs. Yeah. So the personnel on this Death From Above 1979 album is Sebastian Granger on drums and vocals and Jesse F. Keeler on bass. And it was recorded by Al Puodzukas. Puodzukas, whatever. He was in Mr. Craft, that band that M-S-T-R-K-R-F-T. Like, there's some, like, electronic thing. Um... So there's they were just a two piece band that drum and bass thing the uh, that I guess was this that like started the trend of the two man garage rock band like your your white stripes black keys Japan droids yeah I mean it falls into that <clears throat> that category I don't know if it's the originator of it I don't know I mean the Carpenters were just a two piece <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's yeah, but it's definitely that. It's yeah. it's that thing. The v- yeah, it's real fuzzy. Um, which Japan Droids definitely borrowed from. Um, but Japan Droids also wrote better songs. So yeah, Japan Droids were definitely catchier. Yeah, they made some melodies. Um, this, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like all these songs sound exactly the this, same. It's very much a noise rock. Like trying to think of bands to compare it to. Um, like almost like an albatross or melt banana a little bit Mm, i don't know well in terms of like pretty much just playing the same riff repeatedly the same really short riff repeatedly for like two minutes and it's yeah it's super fuzzed out and there's some moments that kind of remind me queens of the stone age like the i guess it's the type of distortion that they used on some of some of those riffs yeah um Little little stoner rockish. <laughs> there was I feel like there was one song on there that even reminded me of that band Priestess. Do you remember them? <laughs> yeah, Queen of the Queens like, uh, of the Stone Age Light. Yeah, they played with Queens of the Stone Age. No, they opened for Boris. That's when I saw them play. I saw them um, open for Mastodon. Oh, that's what it was. It was Mastodon. Yeah, it was. Um, it was just like this. Uh, who? There's a specific band I'm thinking of. Like. <laughs> like wolf mother like that kind of s- <laughs> pr- pretend stoner rock yeah <laughs> it's like fuzzed out riffs man yeah but they don't actually embrace the stoner metal uh songwriting approach yeah I and mean, death from above is kind of like i feel like death from above is kind of the um the archetype on which the band Sex Bob-omb from Scott Pilgrim vs. <laughs> the World is based. Just, like, add in extra yeah. members, though. 
like mm-hmm. um just like super short dumb songs <laughs> yeah you know, super I found, fuzzy like, the, the intros and the samples far more interesting than the actual music yeah like uh, i don't know if they made those or if they just you know were just sampling them but i definitely liked hearing those things better than the songs <laughs> some of the little noodly things that they did as like intros and outros um reminded me of maybe double double nickels on the dime by minutemen <laughs> some of those interlude kind of tracks um so i kind of appreciated that but yeah generally i did not enjoy listening to it and i was glad that it was over because and it was very short so yeah it really didn't take long but they do that yeah and they do that thing so like the vocals are way too overdriven like mm-hmm. they're just recorded way too hot and i know that they did that on purpose but i hate yeah. it like i just don't like the way that sounds I don't mind, like, I understand if they were, I understand the, the overdriven vocal thing. Like, maybe you can't sing super well, and it kind of masks some of the, you know, the rougher parts. And, like, it, it's definitely, like, the garage rock sound that they're going for. But, yeah, it could have been reined in a lot. To I just hated that stupid robot voice on that one song. <laughs> It's like a vocoder, yeah. and it's just like, ugh, this sucks. You know, it's funny, on Spotify, they have, like, the demo version of this EP. Yeah, I saw that. It sounds better than the actual album. Like, each song sounds like a distinct song, unlike the actual EP, where everything sounds exactly the same. So I was like, oh, oh, so you... And he didn't have that overdriven vocal effect on it either. It was just more of a regular voice. So, I don't know. I see why they released it. Mm -hmm. Because they were like, this actually does sound different. And I personally think it sounded a little better. Um, I wish they could have just taken some of those elements and just slickened them up a little bit. for Because the, the, the production on the EP is good. It's just the effects I'm not a fan yeah. of, I guess. Yeah. It just the vocals to me would have been better if they were just a little bit of grit. Like, 
you run them through a tube compressor, and then you add a little reverb, maybe some slapback, and that gives you like the noise and the garagey feeling without just completely muddying it out. Mm. And yeah, I don't know what they're singing in any of these songs. Yeah. Like I don't know what those words are. And like, uh. Uh, play a guitar instead of a bass. Yeah. Instead of playing a bass like a guitar. You can just play a guitar and you can run it through an octave pedal and you'll get the low end and you'll get the guitar and yeah, it'll sound better than just way too fuzzy bass. Yeah. Uh so I was reading their Wikipedia page and then I saw something that really jumped out at me and it really irritated me so they uh they've gone back and forth on what the actual name of the band Mm -hmm. is um they started as death from above and then they became death from above 1979 and then when they reunited they dropped the 1979 they went back just being death from above so uh, they were given a cease and desist from death from above records um so Normally, I'm like, whatever, man. Cease and desist. That's bullshit. But Death from Above Records weren't a completely unknown label. Um, it uh, was run by James Murphy, who is from LCD Sound System. Mm. And, like, that label has released LCD Sound System albums and Hot Chip albums and, like, not stuff I'm necessarily into, but it's well-known stuff. Like, it's not like... Maybe, like, if I could call it a band Fat Wreck, you know, or... I mean... <laughs> So, I feel like the the phrase "death from above," like "death DFA records," didn't create that term. Like they no. didn't come up with that phrase. That well, uh, here's okay. Listen to what okay. So when they were given the cease and desist, they posted. Uh, the band posted, "Fuck DFA records. Fuck James Murphy. We declare jihad on them. Holy war, oh. ending their death and dismemberment." James Murphy is a selfish piece of fuck that will burn in the flames of a specially dedicated rock and roll jihad. If I had the resources, I would fly a plane into his skull. God damn it. And then, James Murphy, in an interview on Pitchfork in 2005, says, this is interesting, We knew about them for a long time. The name thing wasn't a big deal. It wasn't until they signed to a major label, which wouldn't release the record until we signed off on the name. That's how this all came about. Uh... Atlantic is not going to release a record by a band with the same name as another entity in music. We spent a lot of money because we didn't just want to be total fucking assholes and just say no. We were trying to find a way for it to actually work. I was like, what the hell's wrong with Death From Above 1979? But the copyright attorney was like, no, that's not fine. And I said, if they become a totally different name and it delays their record, that's something I'm not comfortable with. So we we just tried to make it work as well as possible. So apparently their lawyers wanted them to change it even more than adding the 1979 hmm and also so what if you add 1979 to your name it's it kind of makes your name stand out a little more you know i could imagine a lot of shitty hardcore bands with the name death from above you know and it it sounds like it was just a label thing like atlantic wasn't going to release it just in case i don't know so hold on there's someone at my door there's somebody at the door so they're supposed to fix my hot water today. So, nice. so I'm trying to, I'm trying to parse through this article really quickly because this is something that I wish I'd maybe read 
before. Yeah, so Death From Above seems to have some pretty sexy, sexist, sexy, <laughs> not sexy, <laughs> sexist <laughs> lyrics. I'm kind of skimming this whole article that's a, that's pretty much alleging like, yeah, Death From Above are like a men's rights. Oh fuck! Band. Really? Like, not like not really. So like, <clears throat> they're not like outwardly so, but her she's kind of just like assessing their lyrics and the way they talked and acted and and so and there was some sort of like weird like alt-right uh proud boy uh association with the band oh gross and i want to find the root of that like well it says their label was vice did vice have a record label at one point yeah so i I think they have some sort of connection with that dude from Vice who started the Proud Boys. Um, so Gavin McInnes claims Jesse Keeler as a Proud Boy in an article. And Jesse Keeler supposedly has had attended election night party with Gavin and other Proud Boys. Um, that's all pretty well documented. Um, he's been a regular, yeah, he's been a regular guest on Gavin, Gavin McInnes's podcast, which, yeah, is kind of like a proud boy recruiting podcast but um so uh, apparently like he's been on to talk about pro-gun issues and they've talked about crypto anti-immigrant subjects jesus christ um, <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. i really wish we I had wish known, I'd known that shit before <laughs> yeah i wouldn't have bothered we would have just said all right no and not done this one fuck so and i'm trying to see where if he may where he made a statement. This is really long. Here's a statement from Death from Above's Facebook yeah, that's page. That's what I'm looking at. I would never join the group. My connection to Gavin, however, is real, but begs to be clarified. He met him as a founding member of Vice Magazine. We made friendly. So basically, he's just kind of like defends himself as being like, I knew him back then and just kind of tried to give him the, the, the benefit of the doubt for like maybe his edgy comedic line, leanings. Um, he says that I have always been anti-war and anti-violence. That is my baseline position. As far as immigration and nationalism, I am the child of an Indian mother and a Canadian father. I was raised in Canada by my immigrant Indian family who struggled to make it in a new country. Um, so he is mixed race. Um, something that... Yeah, that doesn't necessarily... Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't think like he... I think that when you get called out for something like that, you need to straight out, like, yeah, you need to condemn that person. <laughs> like, I think he, I think his response is still too soft. To, yeah, he's like, he's my he's, bro. Yeah, and he should have been like, I disagree you know with what? him. I was wrong. I gave him the benefit of the doubt, and I, you know, wanted to keep talking to him out of morbid curiosity, but I shouldn't have done that, and I shouldn't have been on his podcast and things like that. Like, he should have, I don't... Yeah, uh, that statement is not very satisfying. He said something about no, he never wanted to get political. Yeah. Well, I do think that's an issue too. People who refuse to get political. Well, uh, so like I can understand it from an like an artistic perspective to be like to say I don't feel equipped to write political music. Um, no, you don't, you don't have to write political music. But yeah, you but. should use your platform. <laughs> And you should yeah. you should know that being publicly seen and associated with uh, nationalists, white nationalists, 
um, is a bad thing. And you yeah. should immediately <laughs> shut it down and be like, look, dude. Yeah. So fuck Death From Above. Yeah. yeah. Their music cool. sucks. Their lyrics are sexist. And they're too chummy with fucking Proud Boys. And I wish I knew all that before we started recording this podcast. Yeah, because now I, um, I may not tag them on the episode title because I don't want people to. I don't. What What do you think? What should tag I do? Them. Should fuck I it. tag yeah. them? Say fuck it. Okay, just okay. title it. Okay, fuck death from above. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> In the show description, it'll, it'll probably be something you know where I'll say, "Oh, we covered the 2002 album My Chemical Romance," like blah blah blah, and uh, the fucking Proud Boys. Uh, <laughs> Death from above. <laughs> are we gonna, are we gonna get slander allegations? Uh, oh, fine. I mean, I'll, he's not um, he's not officially a proud boy, so we can say that. And okay, we can call them pieces of shit. That's not uh, you can't sue somebody for slander over that. So. <laughs> Defamation of character. I don't know. Uh, honestly, we're just pointing at facts and we're giving our our editorial opinions on <laughs> on very weak statements uh, that attempt to refute the. I don't know. Yeah, honestly, fuck that band. <laughs> yeah, fuck them. Fuck them. What? Uh, give them a rating? Nah, I don't even want to give them a rating. Zero out of five. Yeah. Fuck them. <laughs> yeah. We got bamboozled. Uh. You know, we did. the we thing got... is, like, the band has that band has been so praised forever. Like, they're yeah, yeah. Tons of people love I wanna, that band. I want to link to this. Uh, I'll send you the link. You can post it on on or something. I want to link to that the article that I was reading that sent me on it on this research. Um, it's titled something like "Why Death from Above's uh, Recent Alt Right Controversy Shouldn't Have Come as a Surprise." Um, <laughs> I'd like to dig more into that article and read it. But in full, but yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> gross. Ew. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that shit. Yeah. Cool. Well, next week. It's fun whenever we find out things on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we keep uh, we pick our bands and then we announce them before we've had a chance to research them. <laughs> yeah. So unless it's common knowledge, like the Escape the Fleet we need guy, to like Google a... the band name and controversy. <laughs> first <laughs> yeah, from now on uh yeah so okay next week and the week after we're going to actually break format a little bit and um we're gonna do our best of 2018 uh we're gonna do a top 10 and we're gonna break it up into two episodes because otherwise we'd have a two and a half hour long episode um yeah so yeah we'll do a top 10 we'll do uh 10 through 6 next week and then five through one the week after and we'll just alternate back and forth um our picks and um yeah i think it'll be fun this is something that i've i love doing every year um is making my lists i love it so much that i keep a running list of everything i'm listening to throughout the year and i've been doing that for a couple years now it's gotten to the point where i don't listen to much old music because (laughs) i'm so, so focused on new music all the time that i don't listen to a ton of older stuff usually the beginning of the year is when i listen to mainly the older stuff because there's less new music at that point but starting in like october i'm usually just only on the albums that came out that year um because there's so much music (laughs) yeah and then yeah we'll do two episodes and then we'll be back on format after that so uh 
You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Punk Lotto Pod. Uh, our Facebook is Punk Lotto Pod slash, or excuse me, Facebook.com slash Punk Lotto Pod. Uh, Email is Punk Lotto Pod at gmail.com. And we have websites, Punk Lotto Pod dot Simplecast dot FM. Hmm. Anything else you want to add? Um, no, not really. I mean, that covers it. Yeah. Fuck Death from Above 1979. Hey, Mark. Like the cartoon? Oh, I'm so. You did? Yeah, it's, um, it's meant to be me and Barbara from Personnel, right? And uh, she's handing me this heart of holiday pay. Um, but in the heart, it's just... Race hate? Exactly. <laughs> That's so Barbara. She's such a racist.